You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his Good morning. So good to be with you today. Welcome to those of you who are guests. I was glad to get to meet some of you this morning. May God bless you as we worship together. Welcome to those of you with us on Zoom. Also glad that you're able to be with us together as we study uh, your, uh, God's Word. I'd like us to dig deeply today into a few verses that I mostly skipped over in our lesson last week. We're working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Last week we heard Jesus teach us not to show off the righteous acts that we do in God's service as if to impress other people rather than to impress God. So things like giving and praying and fasting, Jesus talked about those. Jesus urged us to do such things in secret, where it's hard to be hypocritical, claiming to do such things for God, but really doing them more to draw attention to ourselves. It's hard to be hypocritical about giving and praying and fasting when the only ones who can see us doing these things uh, are ourselves and God. And so Jesus said that our Father who sees what is done in secret will reward us. He called us to do these things whenever we can in secret. And in his discussion of prayer, Jesus offered some instruction that we only barely glanced at last week, and I'd like us to take more time with that instruction today. So let's start in Matthew 6 and verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The words of Jesus our Lord. This week I told my friend David Herlocker, who's the minister at the Church of Christ in Ephrata, that I would be preaching on the Lord's Prayer today. And he said a friend of his likes to say that this is the most dangerous prayer in the world. And I think he might be right. Why? Well, we'll see in a minute. But you may already have a guess. Another friend mentioned to me last Sunday that he's heard this prayer recited word for word at a lot of funeral services, and he was wondering, does Jesus want us to pray, to to use this prayer as a model, like pray like this, 
but not, you know, not these words, but pray kind of in this style? Or did he want us to pray these exact words? Here in verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. So it's a good question. What does Jesus mean by that? Matthew, of course, wrote this book, the book of Matthew, in the Greek language, translated into English for us. And in Greek, the wording that Matthew uses could be translated, pray this, or it could be translated, pray like this. The Greek is not clear. It could go either way. And so it's a good question. Does Jesus mean we should pray this word for word or just pray kind of in this style? We know from history that the early church did recite the Lord's Prayer word for word. A document called the Didache, uh, which means the teaching, is a sort of instruction manual for Christians. It comes from the, uh, around the end of the first century, beginning of the second century AD, so very early in church history, within about the first hundred years of church history. It's not scripture, but it gives us a glimpse into what some churches were teaching their believers to do. And it quotes from the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it quotes the whole thing out of Matthew, just what we just read. And then it says, pray this three times a day. Well, it's not scripture, it's not a command of God, but it was apparently what some very early Christians thought was the right thing to do. Surely there's nothing wrong with that, as long as you mean the prayer when you pray it. The best prayer in the world wouldn't do any good if your heart wasn't in it, right? And that's part of Jesus' point in verses 7 and 8. We talked about verses 5 and 6 last week, where Jesus teaches us to pray in secret, where only God can see. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, Don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And that is literally what a lot of people in Jesus' time thought. And even some Jews, but especially people in other religions, they thought that if they could talk long enough, they could wear out the God's resistance to answering their prayers. So if they prayed and the God just wasn't in the mood, you know, they could, they could just keep talking until they finally convinced him to, okay, answer their prayers. He would finally give up, you know. Or they thought that if they repeated the right words over and over again, certain holy words, powerful words, or maybe as many names of their God as they could find, or maybe if they flattered their God, so he was just overwhelmed with their adulation, then that would draw the God's attention, and then the God would answer their prayer. So, I dug around in my old sermons this week and I found an example that I ran across back in 2004 and shared in a sermon on the Lord's Prayer that year and again in 2014. So uh, those of you who have been around a while, you might, you might remember this one. Apparently I preach on the Lord's Prayer about every 10 years or so. This is a prayer to Ares, the Greek god of war, as recorded by the ancient Greek writer Homer. He starts the prayer this way. Ares, exceeding in strength, chariot rider, golden-helmed, doughty in heart, shield-bearer, savior of cities, harnessed in bronze, strong of arm, unwearying, mighty with the spear, O defense of Olympus, father of warlike victory, ally of Temis, stern governor of the rebellious, 
leader of righteous men, sceptered king of manliness, who whirl your fiery sphere among the planets in their sevenfold courses through the ether wherein your blazing steeds ever bear you above the third firmament of heaven. Hear me, helper of men, giver of dauntless youth. And that's just the opening of the prayer. (laughs) Aren't you glad we don't have to pray like that? Many ancient peoples, maybe some still today, would think that you have to impress the God, flatter him, persuade him to listen to you. But Jesus says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's already aware of your situation. And if God is already aware of your situation and what you need, that suggests that he's interested enough in you personally to hear your prayer. He is still God, but he is a God and a Father who cares. So honor him as such. Don't insult God by trying to impress him with endless words or flattery or an important sounding prayer as if you have to impress him because he doesn't love you. Just pray. Jesus says, This then... Is how you should pray. And he speaks what just might be the most dangerous prayer the world has ever heard. He begins, Our Father in heaven. We don't have to call God by dozens of impressive sounding names. It's okay to just call him Father. When we call God Father, we acknowledge that our Creator desires a relationship with us. He's out there, but He's not distant. He wants to be close. And we express that we want that relationship too. And calling God Father expresses that we trust Him. He's a good Father. We know that He cares for us and He provides for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. To hallow something is to honor it as holy, as something beyond the normal and the mundane, something utterly sacred to us. When we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we commit ourselves to honoring God as holy above all things. He is the highest authority in our lives. He is the one we honor the most. Your kingdom come. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're asking God to reign as king over our lives. God's kingdom is wherever he is honored as king. And we ask God for his kingdom to come, not only in our lives, but but over all lives, to be king over the whole world and all creation. God's kingdom is wherever he rules as king. And don't you wish that the whole world and all the angels and all the demons would accept his rule because then there would be no more suffering, there would be no more grief, no more death, no more evil, no more war, no more temptation, no more struggling against sin. One day, God's kingdom will come in its fullness when Jesus comes again. We are waiting for that day eagerly. In the meantime, 
We pray that God would speed that day, that he would work toward that day, that his kingdom, which is already here among us who follow Jesus, would continue to advance until it comes in all its fullness. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here is where this prayer really becomes dangerous. Because if we mean it, when we pray for God's will to be done, then we have to be people who are trying to do God's will. And if God's will is done in our lives, let alone across the whole planet, imagine how drastically that would change the way we live. How might seeking God's will change how you take care of your body? How might seeking God's will transform how you show your love for God's church? How might seeking God's will change your relationship with your next door neighbor? Or with your students? Or with your boss? How might seeking God's will rearrange your priorities for your retirement? I mean, is is vacationing really that high on God's agenda for your golden years? Or is that maybe something God would be pleased with, but that you could do in a way that is devoted to God, that accomplishes His will somehow? How might you pray differently if you were focused on seeing God's will be done? How might seeking God's will move you to practice spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study and encouraging others more consistently? What if God's will were done by every nation on earth all the time? How would that transform governments? How would it rearrange international relations? What would the economy look like if it were structured specifically to accomplish God's will? If we always yearned for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, how would that affect your plans for tomorrow? Because if we mean it when we pray for God's will to be done, we then become people who strive to do God's will and to do it just as well here on earth as it is done in heaven. This is a dangerous prayer. There are six requests in this prayer. The first three (coughs) are about God and the other three are about our needs. And so first we pray that God's will would be, that God's name would be hallowed and that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done. So those three requests are focused on God. And then we pray for things we need here on earth, as we'll see in a moment. But we start with God. Everything starts with God. He sets the agenda. And when we keep him at the center of our lives, everything else goes better. Once we've oriented ourselves around the need and the desire to seek God's honor, to promote his kingdom, and to do his will, then we have fully submitted ourselves to him, and we're ready then to ask him for what we need. And so that's always a good way to pray, to begin by centering ourselves around God before we ask for what we need. Once we've honored God... We're seeking his kingdom. We're seeking the accomplishment of his will. Jesus says we should pray. Give us today our daily bread. This is a prayer of total dependence 
on God, asking him for what we need. We can work as hard as we're able at our jobs. We can search high and low for the things that we need to survive. But in the end, we are people who uh, acknowledge that everything we need ultimately comes from God, not from us. We depend on him and not on ourselves. Not on our significant other, not on our parents or our children. They may help us, but our true provider is God. And we will be content with what he gives. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, you don't have to give me enough to last the next six months for me to feel secure. What you give today will be sufficient. I trust you. And I know that you'll provide for me today and tomorrow and the next day when the time comes. You don't have to make us super rich for us to be happy. Just give us today our daily bread. And if we need more than that, we know, Lord, that you'll provide it. Because we know our God always provides for his children. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our God is a stern and loving Father who holds us accountable for our offenses against Him and against each other, but who also forgives. In fact, it was especially for our forgiveness that He sent Jesus into the world so that by Jesus' death our sins would be paid for and we could be brought back to God. So Jesus himself encourages us to pray, for, pray to God for forgiveness. But always with the realization that if we receive God's forgiveness, then we have a responsibility to then also forgive others when they sin against us. And this need for us to forgive others is so important that Jesus returns to that thought after his prayer, promising that God will forgive us if we forgive others, but warning us that if we won't forgive others, then God also will not forgive us either. And so this prayer keeps changing us. It changes us into people who seek God's will in everything. It changes us into people who depend on God for everything we need. It changes us into people who are forgiven and who forgive. And in the last lines of this prayer, Jesus says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Greek word translated temptation here also means testing. And so we ask God not to lead us into times of testing, not to add to the struggles that we're already going through, but to deliver us from the evil one, the devil, who already throws plenty of testings and temptations our way. And again, we express our complete dependence on God, that just like we look to him for our physical needs, our daily bread, so we also look to him for our spiritual needs, our deliverance from the evil one. And so this is a dangerous prayer. It is a powerful prayer. If we pray this prayer, it becomes what one teacher I heard called a constant reminder of theological priorities. That is, when we think about the things of God, this prayer reminds us what is most important in life. Honoring God. Seeking his kingdom, doing his will, depending on God for our daily needs, depending on God for our spiritual needs, seeking forgiveness from God as we also honor him by forgiving others. This is a prayer for people who know that things are not the way they're supposed to be in this world. 
And so we pray that God would change things, that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not satisfied with the status quo. We don't want to just go about our lives with things the way they have always been, and we're not satisfied with that. We need God to come in and change things and to change us. This is a prayer that orients us toward God and toward other people. We depend on God. We want to see him work his will in the whole world. And we stand ready to forgive others. And so we think of others as we think of God and how much he's blessed us. We want to be as kind to others as God has been to us. This is a dangerous prayer. It's a powerful, wonderful, super simple, but life-transforming prayer. And I think that alone is excellent reason for us to pray this prayer word for word. And not just at funerals, but anytime. To memorize it and to lift it up to God from time to time as our own prayer given to us by Jesus our Lord. And so I think the early church was on to something. They recited this prayer regularly, at least some of them did. And they meant it when they recited it. But then again, it's not the reciting of the prayer that makes it so powerful, is it? It's what kind of people we are and what kind of people God is creating us to be as we pray it. God is making us people who honor his name as holy. We are people who are eager for God's kingdom to come in its fullness when we pray this prayer and we mean it, we are people who long to see God's will done throughout the earth. And so we dedicate our own lives to doing God's will. We are people who depend on God for our daily bread. God is making us to be people who forgive and are forgiven. We are people who need God to deliver us from testing and temptation and from the evil one. So when Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, maybe he's not necessarily saying, pray these exact words. But maybe he's saying something more like, be this kind of person when you pray. Because we have many examples of excellent prayers in Scripture. None of them exactly the same as this one. But what makes all of them pleasing to God is not the formula of words but the formation of a heart that is seeking God. And so if you are seeking God today, or if you're thinking about maybe seeking God, I would ask you, if you would, let's stand together and let's recite this prayer together. Let's share it in the Lord's Prayer and, and lift it up to God as our own prayer today. And we'll finish the lesson this way. Would you say this prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord God, we lift this prayer up to you today. Uh, using the words that Jesus gave us, but offering you hearts that have been transformed by him and by your Holy Spirit, by your awesome power. Dear God, we lift this, up, this prayer up to you 
um, asking you to do these things, to let your name be honored, hallowed throughout the world. We pray that your kingdom would come in its fullness and that your will would be done on earth just as well and as consistently as it is in heaven. And Lord, we offer ourselves to you that you would work in us to accomplish these things in our community and in our families, in our homes, in our places of business and in our schools. Lord, we pray for your your blessing that these things might come about. And Lord, we ask that you would provide us with the things we need in life every day, our daily bread. And bless us, Father, by continuing to forgive us as we also seek to honor you by forgiving those who sin against us. And so, Lord, when people wrong us, help us to remember how kind you've been to us and give us hearts that are forgiving toward them. And dear Lord, rescue us from temptation and from testing. Don't lead us in that direction, Lord, because we're trying to walk with you. And so help us, Lord, in our battle against the evil one. Stand up against him for us, Lord. He is too strong for us, but he is not too strong for you. Thank you for being our Father who loves his children. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord. Dear God, hear our prayers this week as we call on you daily to help us and to walk with us and as we honor you in our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.